You'll have to forgive me this morning. I'm still a bit sick over the last few days, so I may be hacking and wheezing and sniffling and all of those lovely things, but the Lord will see us through. Uh, If you will, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll continue on in these few verses. This is the attributes of love, part two, and we looked at several attributes of love uh, last week, and we will continue uh, to finish out this section this morning. If you are visiting with us, we do uh, regularly go through books of the Bible verse by verse, and this morning we find ourselves in verse 7 of chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. For our children, our key words this morning are bears, believes, hopes, and endures. So let's read together, beginning in chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And we've been looking at these attributes of love. Paul gives 15 attributes in verses 4 through 7. So, very quickly, let's trace Paul's argument beginning in verse 1. Remember, he was saying, if I have this gift of speaking in tongues, and even if it were that I could speak in the language of the angels, but I do this without love, then I might as well be banging on a gong or a cymbal. If I am to have this prophetic gift and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge and I have the greatest of faith, but I do not have love, it is absolutely worthless. Indeed, if I give everything I have to include my body to be burned, but I don't do so in love, I gain absolutely nothing. And so, Paul goes on to explain what this love that he's speaking of looks like. He's giving us a description of love. And we talked about the first 11 of those attributes last week. And this morning, we will look at these last four. In verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So we're going to explore these, and then we're going to look at how all 15 of these attributes combine to work in the life of the believer toward true godly love, and in turn, 
in the life of the church. Now, again, I've consistently reminded us that we must remember the context in which this passage is written. Paul is writing about love in the church. He is not defining love between a husband and wife or between friends, but he is writing to define what love looks like within the church. And really, this passage is functioning as a sort of rebuke against the Corinthians because these are attributes that were not seen in their relationships. The relationships of the Corinthians were, in fact, directly opposed to Paul's description of love. So, let's see how Paul wraps all of these attributes together so we can have this complete picture of Christ-centered, God-glorifying, church-uniting Love. And this, in verse 7, is the positive force of all of these attributes we've already looked at. The positive force of love that is always active, it is never passive, it is always at work toward one another. So let's look at each of these first. Love bears all things. Now, specifically, Paul is speaking here of bearing up under ill treatment. Literally, to bear all things is to to cover with silence. A few ways to describe this. Love holds fast like a watertight vessel. So anger and bitterness and impatience and rudeness and arrogance and envy, and a desire for retribution, all of these things, when we are treated poorly, when there is ill treatment that comes to us, and these things come from our hearts, love bearing all things means that they are withheld, that these things do not leak out. And indeed, it is so tightly fixed as to allow nothing out which would certainly also mean that it is so tightly fixed as to allow nothing in. And so this is not simply, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. It goes much further than that, because that does not address the issue of the heart. This is a heart that does not even entertain the option for anger. Or bitterness. It's a tall order that Paul has given us to bear all things. The Christian with genuine love contains himself in silence, not giving vent to whatever selfishness stirs up in strained relationships. And so, this idea that we simply need time to vent is not bearing all things. Venting is not loving. So what does this look like publicly? This is that love would throw a cloak of silence over whatever it is that is displeasing about another person. So love suppresses those things out of genuine, passionate, honest, legitimate, heartfelt concern for the value 
and for the reputation of another person. Love will do all that it can to cover the weaknesses of another, to cover their failings as they sin against us. In other words, love is reluctant to drag another person into scandal in front of everyone else to see. And so love does not say things like, you know, so-and-so's a really good friend, but they really struggle with lust. Bless his heart. (laughs) You know, she's really a great lady and a very good friend, but she is a terrible, terrible gossip. Bless her heart. This is not love. This is not love. This does not mean that we simply tolerate sin. Remember, the Corinthians were doing this, and Paul rebuked them in chapter 5. There was a man in the church who was having sexual relations with his stepmother, and they were proud of the fact that they tolerated this man's sin. And Paul rebuked them and said he had already passed judgment on the man. Love rejoices in the truth. So this doesn't mean we tolerate sin. But we can address sin without making a spectacle of it. Bearing all things is a disposition to cover the ugliness of sin instead of making sure that everyone else knows all about it. Love throws a cloak of silence over what is displeasing about another person. It's often that we seem to feel justified that if someone sins, now we have all the right in the world to make sure that everyone knows about it. We're also instructed in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers A multitude of sins. The Corinthians were always looking for a way to expose others. Why? Most certainly it was the pride of their hearts. Seeking to show themselves to be more righteous and more holy than everyone else. To the extent of, in chapter 6 we saw, bringing lawsuits against one another. Their desire was to see others punished and others' sin brought before everyone to see without ever acknowledging their own. They were quick to point to the speck in their brother's eye without ever seeing the log in their own. But love throws a kindly mantle over the faults and weaknesses and failures of others and does not seek ways to make sure others know about their sins. This is what we tell our children. And this is great parental wisdom. Don't be a tattletale. Love covers sin. Love bears all things. Secondly, love believes all things. 
In other words, love always trusts or gives the benefit of the doubt. We say that often. This is believing without suspicion all that is not plainly false. In other words, it's trusting the good intentions of others whenever it is possible. And of course, we always do this, like all things in the Scripture, we always want to do this using wisdom and discernment, but I don't think that's our problem. I think that we, as humans, are quick to not give the benefit of the doubt to others. We want to trust the good intentions of others whenever it's possible. So when another believer tells you that they will do something, they will commit themselves to something, they will be somewhere, you're not suspicious of that claim. You believe the best, and you expect that they will do as they have said. You allow their yes to be yes, and their no, no. In other words, our response is never, well, I'll believe it when I see it. This is not the benefit of the doubt. And to follow on, if we give them the benefit of the doubt and they do not follow through with their commitment, love is not eager to pounce on them and denounce them. We continue to give them the benefit of the doubt. Love does not go around assuming that others are lying if there is no plain, very clear evidence that indicates otherwise. Well, so-and-so said that they would be here to help us serve this morning, but you know how they are. Or, he told me that he was going to do that, and then an emergency came up. But you you just never know with them. This is not love. Yes, you do know what happened. He already told you. Trust Him. Give Him the benefit of the doubt until there is reason not to. It is truly a Christian virtue that we see others to be innocent before they're proven guilty. And so the question for us in this is, are we looking for the best in others? You know, you can really tell if someone actually loves you. And this is one of the best indicators of that. If you have failed someone before, and it happens, if you perhaps haven't followed through with something that you told someone else you would, but the next time they believe you again, and they trust your intentions, and they give you the benefit of the doubt, you have found one who truly loves you. There is nothing more loveless than suspicion. How do we have a loving relationship with one another if it is filled with suspicion and doubt? 
Suspicion is assuming another person's motives. We're assuming that, they, that we know the intentions of their heart. And therefore, we're eager to believe what's bad. This is assuming things to be true that aren't, or at least we're not able to make judgments about. We do it all the time, right? This is the equivalent of gossip. And it's arrogant and unloving. Think about Job and his interaction with his so-called friends. What did they do in their interaction with Job? They assumed a great deal about this man. The Scriptures tell us Job was a righteous and upright man. And then we see all of his friends coming to us and saying, Job, you're suffering because there's sin in your life. Well, I don't know of any sin in my life. Well, trust us, Job. There must be sin in your life. I've searched my heart. I've searched all that I've done. I see no sin in my life, Job. That's okay. We know there's sin in your life. Just go ahead and tell us. Just go ahead and confess it. And on and on and on we see this. They come to him many, many times, never giving Job the benefit of the doubt. And through this all, we learn that they are very quick to make false judgments and not knowing the true work of God behind the scenes. Love covers the worst and believes the best. Love believes all things. Third, love hopes all things. Love is always confident. So love hopes in what is good in another person, even if others have ceased all hope altogether. In other words, love is maintaining a measure of optimism on the behalf of the other person. We must remember this very important thing. As long as God's grace is operative in a person, and if they are believer, it is. If this is true, then love never gives up hope. Love is fully optimistic. Indeed, the report we might hear of another person may be so full and so circumstantial and corroborated by a mountain of evidence that we can hardly see anything other than their guilt. Even if we cannot altogether believe that this person is less guilty than he is being represented as, we should at least hope it to be so. In other words, we don't just pass definitive final judgment as if we were not prone to error. So, love keeps on hoping even when trust is stunned. But as long as God's grace is operative in the life of a believer, human failure is never final. 
We see this in our own lives, right? (laughs) Why do we gather each week and spend time in repentance? Because human failure is inevitable, but restoration is inevitable as well. There will be times when our trust in others dies down to a tiny flicker. A small little glimmer that we can hardly see. And we may even ask the question, can I ever trust them again? But this is where Christ is involved. He grants a small measure of hope. And grants us the grace to continue on hoping in this person because it is by His grace and He is able. This doesn't necessarily mean that we instantly run back to the way that the relationship used to be, but love hopes. There's hope for restoration. Do you hope For the best result or the best outcome, even when all reason for hope seems lost and everything in a relationship feels horribly wrong, do you continue to hope in God? You know, it may very well be that those we love will sometimes be rescued from patterns of sinful behavior because we have hoped in them. And so Paul is calling us to love those within the church. Don't give up on them. Continue to hope in them. And so we should believe what we cannot see and hope where we cannot believe. Because love hopes all things. And fourth, we see love endures all things. Love sustains. You cannot kill love. It perseveres. It keeps on going at all costs. Even in the face of persecution. And it does so in a patient and loving spirit. And this endurance that Paul speaks of, this sustaining of love. This is a military term in the Greek language. This refers to the sustaining of a soldier in the face of a very violent battle. It's the idea of an ambush. So we see very quickly that he's not simply talking about a minor annoyance. This is literally speaking of life and death in face of horrible opposition and suffering and perhaps even persecution. Love survives all of it. It doesn't die. It never gives up. It endures through everything that we encounter in a relationship. 
And so you can see here at the end of all these attributes, Paul has come to the great crescendo of love. This is the highest height of love that no matter what comes in the relationship, no matter what comes upon us, that we keep on enduring in this love. It never ends. Love endures all things without question. It bears all hurts, it bears all wounds, it bears all disappointments, it bears all failures. Love believes the best in others despite wounds, and it gives the benefit of the doubt. It gently throws a cloak over faults, and when believing is betrayed, love still hopes because God is still God. And even then, when even all hope seems lost, love still endures with triumphant confidence that the God who is still God is still sovereign and is still able. So we see Paul telling us that love just continues to hold on and on and on, and is never totally overwhelmed and taken over. Even in the midst of an ambush, the enemy never completely overtakes. No matter the disappointment, no matter the loss, love continues on. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, the Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Why? That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And so it's not simply a sin or two here and there that love will overlook. It is a long continuance of shortcomings and failures that will be forgiven. Not once, not seven times, but seventy times seven times. And it will even continue to bless the one who loads us with curses. And will accumulate benefit on him who seeks only to do us evil in return. We spoke of this in our small group on Friday. What is the response to the one who continues to come back to us time and again with offense? The same thing my mother told me always as I was growing up. Kill them with kindness. It's a very biblical thing, right? Now certainly the Scriptures tell us, Paul tells us, as we love those who persecute us, we may very well be heaping coals of condemnation on their heads. But our motive is to seek their benefit. To continue to love them in the face of opposition, as Paul said, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So in this consists the triumphs of the God of love. 
And in this will everyone who is born of God endeavor to resemble. If we are truly children of God, we will seek to resemble our Heavenly Father and therefore we will seek to see these attributes of love at play. In our hearts, in our lives, in our communication with others as we seek to love others. And so as we look at all 15 of these attributes, we see one great picture of what love is to look like. Let's read these again and think on these. Verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the result of that, we'll look at next Lord's Day, we see in verse 8 then, is that love never ends. This is a tightly sealed expression of love. There's no way out of it. (laughs) As believers in Christ, there is no way out of this. There is no end to love. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the hurts, regardless of the pains, love never ends. It endures forever and ever. Because Paul has painted a picture for us here where we see love is not about us. (laughs) Love is first and foremost about God. How did Jesus summarize all of the law in these two things? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he said the second greatest commandment is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. Are we responsible to fulfill the moral law of God? Absolutely. And so, does Jesus' summary of the moral law of God give us any way out of loving others? Absolutely not. If we truly love God, we will love others. But often we try to love others without first placing our love in God. And if this is the case, it is impossible. Because, as we see in 1 John, we love others. Why? Because Christ first loved us. We can't mix that up. 
If we do, it'll never happen. And so as we look at this, we see how different true Christianity, true love, is from what men generally understand and profess it to be. True Christianity, as displayed by genuine love, is conformity first and foremost to the divine image of God in Jesus Christ. And so to have the attributes of love that Paul has described is to have the attributes of Christ. To display these attributes. That by His grace, He is working within His children. Christianity is the law of God written on the hearts of every man. Which Jesus has summarized, we just said, as love for God and love for neighbor. So true Christianity is love. Because the God that we worship is love. Love in all of its bearings, and love in all of its exercises, love in all of its holy, beautiful attributes. Just think how great a transformation of our world, just our community. If love in its truest sense was not simply read in the Scriptures, was not simply talked about or given lip service to, but truly understood and applied in the lives of those who profess Christian faith. Imagine the transformation. Imagine the unity that the people of God would share. But with so many, Christianity, this love from God, has a seat in their ear and on their tongue, but does not truly reside in their heart. And so then it operates in a sort of talkativeness and uncharitable condemnation of those who differ for whatever reason. And indeed, I found myself to be guilty of this very thing. A lack of meekness. A lack of modesty and benevolence and forbearance and even forgiveness. And yet, with the measure by which I hope to be loved by others... In these times of pride and selfish ambition, I too must extend this great love to others. And so how thankful we must be for the rich provisions of the gospel. Who among us could stand where we are to be judged by our personal obedience to the law of God. Anyone? 
Which of you would venture to base your salvation upon it, even for a single day? Indeed, even for a single hour? Would you strive to base your salvation on your ability to keep the law of God for even a minute? The Pharisees did. And Jesus had much to say to them. Woe to you. There is not one among us who loves God or loves neighbor perfectly. And so we need Christ. And how thankful we must be for His goodness toward us and upon us. Because in Christ, God is at work in this world to reconcile all things back onto Himself. And if you sit here this morning as a justified sinner in Christ Jesus, as one whom Christ has redeemed, you are a means that God uses to that end. It is by your love in proclaiming the gospel in word and in deed, that God is pleased to work by His Holy Spirit to regenerate the hearts of men and women and children for His glory. Why do we preach the gospel? Why do we pray? Why do we do outreach? Why do we strive to be hospitable? Why do we do any of these things? Because, I hope, we love. We love. And we love as a result of the work of God in our lives in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And perhaps you are one who is sitting here this morning as one who has not been transformed by the work of God through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If this is you, I implore you to come. To repent of your sins and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please do not assume that you must first clean yourself up in order to come to Christ. It will never happen. God does not require that you keep some moralistic standard or the whole law of God in order to be accepted by Him. It will not happen. You, along with every other human being in the world, has already failed at that. But thanks be to God that He made Christ to be sin. Christ, who knew no sin, became sin that we, wretched, sinful, loveless, and unlovely human beings, once the enemies of God, might become the righteousness of God. There is no greater love than this. 
Colossians 1, 21 and 22, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. There is no greater love than this, that Christ has laid down his life for us. Brothers and sisters, may it be said of us as a congregation of people that has united together in covenant relationship with one another, may it be said of us that we bear all things. That we believe all things. That we hope all things. And when all else fails, indeed, that we endure all things. In other words, may it be said of us that we are a people who love God and who loves one another. Why? Because Christ has first loved us and has lavished His grace upon us, calling us to be His own giving to us a righteousness that could not be earned and is not deserved, and as a result, giving us the capacity to love Him and to love others, that He might be glorified. Let it be our prayer that together, let it be our great aim, our great desire, that we would love in greater measure. That we would display these great attributes that exist fully and perfectly in Jesus Christ and that they would be worked out in our lives as we strive to love others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the great reality of this love displayed in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank You that You not only instruct us to love in this way, but You have shown us how to do so perfectly in Christ Jesus. And Father, we thank You, knowing our frame, knowing that we are dust. Knowing that we would not live up to this holy and righteous standard that You have given to us, that You have loved us anyway. That You gave to us Your only Son that our condemnation, the just wrath that we deserve was placed upon Him in fullness. And His perfect 
righteousness was given to us that we may stand before you with confidence on the day of judgment. Because the blood of Christ is our salvation. Help us, Lord, to think on this as the great love with which you have loved us. Help us, Lord, to love one another, to love you, to love our neighbors in greater measure. Help us to be a people who are known for our love. We thank you for the instruction of your word. We would be desperately lost without it. We pray, God, that we not only read it, that we not only hear it, that we understand that faith without works is dead. Help us, O God, to apply true biblical love in our lives, in our relationships, in our homes, in this church. Help us to love with godly, Christ-exalting love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for first loving us that we might display love. Keep us. Help us to persevere to the end. Preserve us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.